0: Well, I forgot again to buy a battery for my little clock up here. So it still says two minutes after eight. It has for about four weeks now. But I always bring my pocket watch and open my pocket watch, and I lay it out. But I opened it this morning to see if it was time to start, and it said 20 minutes till 12, perpetually there. So uh, that battery went dead. So I brought my telephone So I'll punch it every now and then and see maybe what time it is, unless I forget to punch it. I do have it on vibrate, so please don't think about sending me a text or calling me to (laughs) embarrass me. It's here strictly as a telephone. I mean, as as a clock, not (laughs) strictly as a clock today, not as a uh, telephone or a texting device. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Last week we, or for the last two weeks, actually we've covered Abraham, and talked about his faith, looking to the future, and then his faith being tested. Uh, then there's a, a brief overview for verses 20 through 22 of of the patriarchs by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and even regarding things to come by faith. Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. And by faith Joseph when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Now, I'm not going to hit each one of those patriarchs. I'm I'm not going to talk about Jacob and uh, Esau and Isaac and and those right now. We may come back to those later. But I want to talk about that last patriarch just before the time of the exodus, Joseph. Joseph I'll be honest with you, is one of my absolute favorite uh, Old Testament characters. I-, I love Joseph for a lot of reasons. I love Joseph because you see so much in his life. There's such an extended uh, discussion of Joseph, much more so than, than my, a lot of the others, but there's, a, there's an extended discussion. But one thing you see about Joseph is here was a man of faith who did not have life easy. Here's a man who trusted God, believed God, looked to God walked with God even though th- his life was not what it ought to be he ended up living in Egypt of all places which a Hebrew boy did not desire to do but he lived in Egypt and he 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 thrived there and he he thrived there because of God's presence with him but yet he was never at home in Egypt and when he died he was about to be embalmed and be buried as as Uh, Ricky read about just a few moments ago, and and when he was dying, he looked and he said, you're not always going to be here. Talking about the Hebrew family. You're not always going to be here in Egypt, and when you leave Egypt, and I know it's coming because God has promised it's coming, and I believe God's promises, when you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. Dig me up, exhume my body, and take me to a resting place in the home that God has promised. There's a man who believed God in spite of all odds. Here is a man who believed God and walked with God, even though it would seem all through his life that everything and almost everybody was against him at all times. He faced great obstacles and great barriers in his life, but yet he never lost sight of who God is and what God has promised. And he believed God his entire life. So I want to take a few minutes today and think about Joseph. I'm not going to read all the text for, at all. If you go back to, uh, to Genesis chapter 37 when you first start hearing about Joseph, about his dreams and, and all the things that are happening. But Joseph was, was, it says, his father's favorite son. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him that coat of many colors that multicolored tunic that you hear all things about and you've heard talked about it was it was a coat that that carried with it the idea of prominence the idea of a place of honor within the family and he made that for joseph primarily because joseph was born when he was late in life Israel looked at Joseph, I think, much the same way that Abraham looked at Isaac. He came at a time when it didn't appear he'd be able to have any children, didn't appear that he'd be able to have have any more, and yet he did. He had Joseph, and he loved him. Now, that didn't cause a lot of joy among the other brothers, as you can imagine. As a matter of fact, verse 4 of chapter 37 says, His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, you can understand that to some degree, but it ought not get to that within a family, should it? There ought not to be hatred towards your brothers, hatred toward those who are your siblings and, and a part of your family, but that's exactly what the Scripture says was happening in, in Israel's house with Joseph and with his other brothers. Now, the Scripture goes on, and I'm just going to kind of Briefly tell the story here for you who have forgotten it. Uh, the, the story goes on to tell that the brothers were off tending flocks in the wilderness and, and getting them fed and everything, and they had gone to a, a place called Dothan, and so they sent their, their, their Israel sent Joseph one day out to find them. He said, I want you to go and I want you to check on the well being of your brothers and the flocks, and come back to me and tell me how they're doing. Now, I can imagine how Joseph could have easily said, Now, Father, wait a minute. Those are the brothers that hate me. Those are the brothers who don't like me at all. But he didn't argue about that. He went and he sought to find his brothers and be able to go back and report to his dad their well-being, their welfare, and the welfare of the flocks. So as he gets there, they see him coming from a way off. Now, realize Joseph has had these dreams. And he's, he would have been a whole lot better off probably to have kept his dreams to himself but he didn't. He told his brothers, he said, you know, I dreamed that there were these sheaves out in the field, and, and, and all of a sudden my sheath was standing erect, and your sheaves bowed down to me. And they said, are you telling us that we're going to one day bow down to you? And Joseph said, well, I'm just telling you the dream. A little later on with Father present, he said, I had another dream. I said, there was the sun and the moon, and there was... There were all these stars, and and my star had the sun and the moon and the other stars bowing down to it. And even Israel couldn't take that. He said, son, are you saying that your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And he said, well, that's just the dream. Well, those brothers heard that dream, and they didn't like that dream. So this day, they see him coming afar off. They said, oh, there comes that dreamer. What shall we do with him? They plotted to kill him. They said, listen, let's get rid of him, then dad will love us, and let's, let's destroy him and take care of that, and, and that will be done with. Well, Reuben, the older brother, said, no, let's don't, let's don't kill him. He's our brother, for crying out loud. Let's just put him in this pit. Now, Reuben, the scripture says, had planned to come back later uh, when, when the other brothers were gone, pull him out of the pit and take him home. But in the meantime, while Reuben was separated from the brothers, this, this caravan of slave traders came along, And the brother said, look, why should we kill him? Let's profit from this boy. Let's pull him out and sell him as a slave. He'll go down into another land. He'll go far away from the family, and it will be as though he were dead to our father and to our family, but even better than that, this dreamer will suffer a little bit before he dies in a far land. So they did. They pulled him out, and they sold him to slave trade, and they went on down into Egypt, and the brothers took his tunic, they killed a goat, they they soaked his tunic in it, and took it back to the father and said, listen, your son was looking for us, and a wild animal obviously over took him and now he is dead and Israel grieved and Reuben grieved when he got back to the pit and found that he wasn't there he tore his clothes, he went into grief but the the way the scripture presents I'm not so sure he was grieving because Joseph was gone as much he was grieving for the fact that he was the oldest and he was going to have to give an answer for this It it was his responsibility as it were so Joseph goes on down into to Egypt, and he's sold there, we're told, into Potiphar's house. In chapter 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And listen to verse 2. And this is a phrase that's throughout all of Joseph's life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and became his personal servant. Now Potiphar said, Joseph, I'm going to put you over my whole house. You're in control of everything. I'm only going to hold one thing back from you, and that's my wife. She's the only thing in all the house that you don't have uh, control over and that you don't have access to. Everything else is yours. You're second only to me in the house. And that was nice. Here, this little, this young Hebrew guy, not because of who he was, but because of who his God was. God was with him. God came down with him. God never left him. God is with him. I mean, that, that phrase is throughout this story. And understand that faith must be based on that. A recognition and an acknowledgement and an understanding that God is with you. Well, anyway, you know the story in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's gone one day, and two days, and three days. and Potiphar's wife starts uh, trying to seduce uh, young Joseph. Joseph, it says, is a good-looking Hebrew boy. He's strong, and he's, he, he's, he's healthy. And, and so she starts having these illicit, sec, uh, sensual, and sinful thoughts toward Joseph. And she tries to seduce him. Come and lie with me. Come and go in with me. And, and, and you know, we kind of get the picture sometimes that it happened. She just said that one time. But if you look at verse 10, it makes it clear. As she spoke to Joseph day after day. This was not some minor one-time temptation. This was a temptation that was presented over and over and over again to Joseph. She did everything she could to bring him into her. But, But Joseph says, no, how is it? How then could I do this great evil and sin against God. Isn't it amazing that Joseph didn't even see the sin against Potiphar? He didn't see the sin against Potiphar's wife. He didn't see the sin against his dad back in uh, where where Israel lived or his brothers or his family. I mean, here was Joseph way away, far away from anybody that really knew anything about him other than he was a Hebrew slave. I mean, the preacher wasn't there, mom and dad weren't there, the brothers weren't there, all of his old boyhood friends weren't there, nobody was there. Would it not have been easy for him just to say, well, listen, to keep things happy in the house, I'm going to give in to this? Would it have been easy for Joseph to have said, oh, listen, nobody will ever know. The, the world will never get back. But Joseph recognized, no. Even in the midst of temptation, God is with me. Dad may never know. The rabbi may never know. My brothers may never know. My friends may never know. But God knows. And the final analysis, that's all that matters. How can I do such a great sin against God, he says. So after a while, when he goes in one day, the servants are out, and he goes in the house and takes off his, his coat, and he refuses again. He leaves the house. She grabs his, t- his coat, and then she screams out so that all the other slaves will come in, all the other servants will come in, and she says, do you know what that Hebrew boy did? He came into my house, and he attempted to assault me. Literally, he attempted to rape me. This is what has come of this boy. The, he, my husband brings this Hebrew into our home, and this is what we get for it. This is what happens. And she falsely accused Joseph of something he never did. In in fact, just the opposite of anything he ever even thought about doing. When Potiphar got home, she told him. The, the, The other servants testified what they had heard, not what they had seen, but what they had heard from Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's anger grew greatly, and this one who had risen to the top of his household because the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him prosperity in his life to everything he did, all of a sudden, now Potiphar says, throw him in the king's dungeon, and all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being up here, riding on top of the world, to about the most horrible circumstances you could ever imagine. And he's in those horrible circumstances, not because of something he did, not because of something that just happened, but he's there because of a lie. He's there because of injustice. He's there because of nothing he did wrong, and yet he finds himself in the dungeon. He's there for a while, and, and he, he again, God is with him, the Scripture says, and the jailer notices that, 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 that he's a special young man because God is with him, and God is giving him favor even in the jailer's eye, and the jailer puts him over all the other inmates. And then one day, Pharaoh's baker and his cupbearer are put in there. And, and they have some dreams, And Joseph sees them sitting over in the corner, sulking. I mean, let's face it: if I'm thrown in prison, if I'm thrown in the dungeon, I'm going to be sulking somewhat myself, wouldn't you? I mean, they're over there; they're upset; they're sulking. Joseph goes over to them, and I love this question: Why are your faces so sad today? I mean, don't you imagine they looked around, they thought this kid has lost his mind here in the dungeon? Don't you imagine they said, "What do you mean? Why are we sad?" You're where we are. We're in the king's dungeon. This is the worst place you could have in all of life. What do you mean, why are we sad? We're sad because we're here, but we're also sad because we've had some dreams we don't understand. So Joseph said, well, tell me what those might be. And and so the cupbearer goes first. He said, well, I dreamed that I was holding the king's cup in my hand, and there sprung up three beautiful clusters of grapes. And I reached out, and I squeezed the grapes into the cup, and filled it. And Joseph said, oh, well, I'll tell you what that is. The three clusters are three days. And you are the king's cupbearer, and you found his favor, but you're here. But the cup represents what you were and what you're going to be. And so in three days, the the king is going to lift up your head. That's a phrase for bring you out of the dungeon. He's going to lift up your head, and he's going to restore you to your place of service as a cupbearer. Well, you got to know the baker's getting a little excited here. And so the baker said, well, let me tell you my dream. My dream is that I had three baskets of bread on my head and I'm walking and and the birds are eating out of the baskets. I can't get rid of the birds. And Joseph says, well, I, I can tell you what the meaning of that is. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, the king is going to raise up your head. And I'm sure the baker's saying, yes, yes. And he's going to hang you. Oh. Well, as they three days pass and the, the, the king does raise up their head lifts them up out of the dungeon as they're leaving he looks at the cupbearer and he says just remember that I interpreted that dream properly and say something favorable to the Pharaoh for me because I'm in here out of injustice I'm not here because I deserve to be here or I did anything to be here I'm here on false accusation so when you go before Pharaoh when you're restored to your place of service and honor just remember me And guess what? He forgot him. For two years, Joseph stayed in the dungeon. For two years, he continued as a prisoner who had committed no crime. And then finally, one day, Pharaoh had some dreams. At the end of two full years, Pharaoh had this dream, actually two dreams himself, and he called in all of his wise men, all of his soothsayers, all of his, uh, his dream interpreters, he said, here are my dreams. I, I dreamed that there, was, there were seven plump cows that came up out of the Nile. Realizing in Egyptian understanding, the Nile is the source of all life. And seven plump, beautiful head of cattle came up out of the Nile. And then right behind them came seven gaunt and ugly cows, skinny as a bone, And all of a sudden, the skinny ones ate up the plump ones. But even after eating them, they were no better off than they were before they did it. And and then I had this one stalk of corn that sprang up, and and seven beautiful ears of corn came on it, and then immediately an ugly old dried up, scrawny, no good for anything uh, stalk of corn came up, and those scrawny, no good for anything corn ears ate the good ears. And they were all perplexed. They said, well, Pharaoh, what have you been eating before you go to bed? Those are some weird dreams. Well, I have mean, I idea what it means. And at that moment, the cupbearer said, uh, Pharaoh, I, <coughs> I hate to bring this up, but uh, do you remember a couple of years ago? You know, I, I really don't want to mention this, but you kind of got angry at me me and the baker, and you threw us into jail, into your dungeon? I really would rather not you remember that, but do you remember it? And he said, of course, I remember that. And he said, well, when we were down there, we had some dreams. And, and there was this Hebrew boy there who was kind of over all the prisoners, and he came to us and said, well, let me try, give it a try. And we told him our dreams. He interpreted those dreams, and three days later, exactly what he said would happen, happened. You hung the baker. You brought me back into your court. So Pharaoh said, well, send for the Hebrew boy. Go get him. Send for him and bring him here. And so they did. And when he got there, they uh, Pharaoh recounted those dreams to Joseph. He, he told them what it what they were all about. And so Joseph begins to interpret them. Now, he, he makes it clear. I love the way that he says this in chapter 41, and verse 16, when Pharaoh says, "I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it, and I have heard that you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to what Joseph said in verse 16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, "It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer." In other words, I don't have any ability to interpret dreams. But my God, whom I serve, a mighty God, the God over all creation, the God who ultimately sent me down here to Egypt, he'll be able to tell Pharaoh what his dreams mean. Isn't it great, when you look at Joseph, you see that he he had the opportunity to receive a lot of praise and a lot of glory. He had the opportunity for Pharaoh to say, Now here's a great young man. Joseph said, It's not me, but it's God. It's not me, but it's my God who is with me and who has been with me and who has followed me through all of this, has never left me, never forsaken me. It's not me. It's God who will give you an answer. So he told the dreams. And you know the story. Joseph interpreted them. He said, well, here's what it means. Those seven fat cows uh, represent seven years of plenty. The crops and the flocks are going to flourish. They're going to, they're going to abound in goodness. And, and all of that's going to be for seven years. Then it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. Famine like you've never seen. Same with the corn. Same meaning. Plenty, seven years. Famine, seven years. The key is, Pharaoh, what you do in those first seven years. If you plan, if you store, if you preserve, then you'll survive fine through the seven years of famine. And then Pharaoh, after hearing that interpretation, asked this question, which to me is the most telling question in all of this text. He says in verse 38 of chapter 41, Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Now, I realize, and I hope you realize, that when Pharaoh said that, he didn't understand what he was saying. He didn't mean, can we find anybody anywhere else in which Yahweh dwells, in which the Lord God, creator and sustainer of all that there is, dwells within his life. He was thinking about some kind of divination spirit, some kind of ability or something that Joseph had. I realize that, but even out of the mouths of the ignorant, sometimes comes a lot of truth, doesn't it? Can we find anybody anywhere in whom is a divine spirit? And Pharaoh put put Joseph over all the planning during the years of plenty, preparing for the famine. Joseph was made not just second in command in Potiphar's house any longer, not just over all the prisoners in the jail, but now Potiphar, I mean, Pharaoh named Joseph as second in all of Egypt. Second only to him. How in the world did Pharaoh? who worshiped pagan gods, who worshiped the Nile River, how in the world did he come to the point of recognizing that there was something different about Joseph? Well, I contend to you this morning that he recognized that in the same way that that person sitting next to you at work or in school or your neighbors will recognize that in your life. It's not because you got up this morning and dressed all up and came to Grace Baptist Church. That's not what people will see. Uh, Joseph was kept from going to church, if you will, for many years. He was surrounded by pagan and false gods. But there was something about him that made a difference. There was something about him that even Pharaoh, the worshiper of false gods, saw. There's something different about this young man. What do you think it was? Well, I personally think it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. When he said, You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Think about those events in Joseph's life just briefly, and then I'll be done. The story goes on with the brothers, and you know all that. We don't have time to really get to that except to make an application here. But I I want you to hear this. Joseph, first of all, had a very difficult home life. His brothers hated him. It was a difficult home life, unlike anything you and I probably go through, but, but yet it was, it, was, it was illustrative of maybe some of the things we go through. But in the midst of a difficult home life of his brothers hating him, his brothers plotting against him, it's indicated that he went to care for them. He went to check on their well-being. In the midst of a difficult home life, Joseph demonstrated love. He didn't return hate for hate. He returned love for hate, went and checked on them, looked after their well-being, and he demonstrated kindness. He was shocked that the brothers would do what they were doing when they sold him into slavery. He couldn't believe that. He would never have ever thought about doing that to his brothers. He came there out of kindness to look after their needs. He had a very difficult home life. In the midst of it, he demonstrated love and kindness. He, he had a very difficult temptation. We, we've already talked about that in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife. He was tempted day after day after day, and it would have been easy for him to have said, Okay! be a little fun. It'll be a little excitement. It'll it'll keep me in good with the house here. But he refused to do it. In the midst of a difficult temptation, he demonstrated faithfulness to God and self-control that came out of that faithfulness. He had faith in God. He trusted God. And he remained that even in the midst of a difficult temptation. When Potiphar's wife lied about him, thirdly, he was thrown into a very difficult circumstance. And he was thrown there because of a lie. He was thrown there in the middle of that difficult circumstance in a dungeon because of injustice. And yet in the midst of that difficult circumstance brought about by a lie, he demonstrated joy. So now how do you get that out of that? From that statement he asked the jailers, uh, the, the, the cupbearer and the... And, and the uh, uh, baker why are your faces so sad today i mean there was a a sense of joy in his life because joy comes from knowing as is all the way through this text and the lord was with him joy is a fruit of god being with us of us knowing that god is in control and he demonstrated joy demonstrated peace there's no indication he ever got panicky, he ever got upset with God. I mean, most of us would say, God, how can you let this happen to me? I'm here serving you, refusing to fall into temptation, loving you, caring about you, and this is what I get? No, he didn't have that. He had a peace of knowing that God is with me. And I don't understand why these bad circumstances are happening, but I know that God is. Is taking care of me. Do you realize that if, if Potiphar's wife had not lied about him and got him in the pit, in, in the dungeon, to which ultimately he interpreted those dreams and ultimately got to Pharaoh's house, he never would have been to the point of being second in command over all of Egypt. He showed joy and peace and again faithfulness. And then Pharaoh brought him out, he interpreted the dreams, he gave him a difficult task, looking over seven years of plenty and planning for seven years of famine. But in the midst of that, he demonstrated faithfulness over and over again. He never took credit for himself. He never said, look what I'm doing. He never tried to call attention to himself. He said, listen, it's not me that's interpreting the dreams, and it's not me that'll carry us through this tough time. It's God. He was always giving God the glory. Always giving God the glory. And then finally, he had a very difficult reunion. Can you imagine what it must have been like the day he looked up and he saw his brothers coming? Those same brothers that had sold him into slavery, those same brothers who had plotted to kill him, those same brothers who hated him in his father's household, and yet he looks up and he sees them coming. Now, they don't recognize him. Because he's no longer dressed like a Hebrew boy. He's now second in command in Egypt. And he has on all of the, of the regalia of royalty of, of, of Egypt. And he looks out at them and he's standing there. And they come up to him and they, they bow before him. Oh, where have we heard that before? The dream's coming true. They bow before him and they say, Oh, great one, and all this stuff. We need help. We need to buy some food from you. He goes through all these gymnastics of, of, of sending them back to get Benjamin there and, and send them back with their money and they feared that they're going to be accused of stealing it and all these kind of things. But I want you to see in the final analysis, Joseph, in that very difficult reunion, demonstrated love and kindness and goodness toward those who had betrayed him, toward those who had sold him into slavery. And I love the way he says it when he finally reveals it to them in, in chapter 45. It said, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, still not knowing who he was. And, and Joseph said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine the gasp that must have gone out from those brothers? (gasps) You're supposed to be dead. What are you doing standing in that place of authority? We sold you here to die as a slave. I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Then listen to this. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. In other words, if, if I had not come here, you're all going to die. And to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then finally, those words he says just before he dies and gives instruction about his bones, he says to his brothers, don't be afraid for I'm not in God's place. I'm not the judge. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I mean, Do you see how the fruit of, what we call the fruit of the Spirit out of Paul's writings is exactly what you see in the life of Jonah, uh, Jonah of Joseph? Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that Pharaoh said, where can we find a man like this? In whom is a divine spirit? In whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh may not know that God, but he recognized there was something different about him. Throughout his life, he trusted. Throughout his life, he believed. Throughout his life, he, he reckoned the fact and he lived on the base of the fact, the Lord is with me. If you and I want to face difficult Home life or work life, difficult temptations, difficult circumstances that are injustice, uh, difficult tasks that we're put in charge of, and difficult reunions that may come about because of all that other. It will only happen when we reckon that the Lord is with us, when we realize that God is present, when we trust in that, when we lean upon that, when we Absolutely know that without that we have nothing and can do nothing. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord manifested his fruit in Joseph's life. If you're a believer, the Lord is with you. Are you trusting him in such a way that his fruit is being manifested in your life? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you that you are with us. We are grateful to you, Lord, that you draw us close to yourself. We're grateful to you that you Send us into situations like you did Joseph that are not always what we consider to be optimum. Not always what we consider to be pleasant. But you send us there, Lord, for your glory. Joseph gave you glory. Teach us, Father, to give you glory wherever we go. Because you're sending us there. As your ambassador, as your witness, to bear testimony of the gospel, to live out the fruit of the Spirit, but then to speak out the truth of the gospel, to say it is God who did it, and he deserves all the glory. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will so invade our lives to change us into the image of Christ, break us because of our sin, and lead us in a walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.